0: So Mark chapter 12, Jesus is answering a question and He always makes us ask questions about ourselves, doesn't He? Doesn't Jesus have that effect on you? As you look at Him, you watch Him, you see Him answering questions, you see Him responding to His enemies, you see how He handles suffering and persecution, He makes you question your very existence. He almost, it's almost as if Jesus irresistibly draws people You know, this is the first time in the Bible that you see a scribe by himself come and and talk to Jesus. He breaks rank. You know, the scribes are supposed to be anti-Jesus. They're all against everything that Jesus was for. His teaching, the gospel of the kingdom. They hate Jesus. And yet this scribe is drawn away from his group. You know, something really mysterious and powerful is happening. When you're able to be an individual and leave kind of the flock the secular flock as it were and think for yourself for a minute so he breaks rank and he goes and he asks jesus this really amazing question and maybe even before we get into the outline that's a point that jesus there's a drawing power to jesus he draws you away maybe from the the deeply held beliefs and traditions that you grew up with that you never questioned you never really thought very deeply about them whether they were right or whether they were wrong they were just you inherited them never gave it a second thought And then you meet Jesus and you watch him and you hear his teachings and they're so deep and meaningful and impactful. It makes you start to scratch your head and think, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? What's the most important thing? So this scribe breaks rank and he comes to Jesus and he asks him a question. And I hope that his answer is going to be provocative for us in the right way. And that's going to really be uh, our sermon outline this morning. I want us to to just see three things from this passage and our time together. And, and the title of this is so close because that's the, basically the last thing that Jesus says to this scribe is you're so close to the kingdom. Now, if you just think about that for a minute, that's a thrilling thing to hear from Jesus, isn't it? I mean, isn't that, that's good news, right? Here's the kingdom, and here's you, bro. You're right here. You're right next to the kingdom. Man, that's great because before I felt like I was so far away. That's good news. That's great. It's terrific. It's thrilling. But on the other hand, it's devastating. <laughs> that's terrible news. That's the worst thing you could ever hear. Why? Because you're not in. You're not in the kingdom. You're still an outsider. You are on the outside of the kingdom, not yet having broke through, not having your eyes open yet or your heart circumcised and changed. So, so you're close But you're so far away still. That's a song that I remember from the 80s. I'm not going to sing it, okay? Not today. So, this is kind of a conundrum, this passage is. So close, but so far away. And so, we're going to see three points here. Number one, everyone has rules. Every single person in this room this morning, whether you're a believer, an unbeliever, whether you are madly in love with Jesus and the Bible, or whether you are so far away and hostile and maybe somebody drug you here, or you stumbled in here, everybody in this single room, everybody in the world has rules by which you live and base your existence on. It's inescapable. Everybody has them. Point two, nobody keeps them. We don't keep God's rules. We don't even keep our own rules. I'll prove that to you in a minute if you're a skeptic. And point three is we need a changed heart. That's our problem. We have a heart that's cold and it's calloused. It's hardened like this medical term. It's got these these corroded arteries and the blood, the life can't get through. So that's our outline. It's our outline. Point number one, everybody has rules. We have this strange relationship with rules, don't we? We have a love-hate relationship. We love rules, but we hate rules. You can't live with them, but you also can't live without them. And everybody has them. Everybody has their own rules. Check this out. Even the people that claim that you've got to live life without rules, newsflash, man, that's a rule, <laughs> isn't it? No rules. And you hear, that? The, I'll talk about the self-help industry in a little bit, $10 billion industry self-help ten billion dollars man that's pretty staggering to even think about it and try to wrap your mind around it every single year thousands of self-help books and motivational conferences around the world take place and people go to them to hear rules right to help them through life and they leave and they get the books and they buy the cds and they listen to it, and they're just as disenfranchised and disenchanted as they were before. But no worries, because the next year, thousands of more self-help books come out, and you can go and buy those. And they're not going to work either, right? Because all they are is just new rules. Everybody just changes the rules. You can see it on social media. You see it in these memes. No fear. You know that's a rule, right? Thou shalt not fear anything. No fear is allowed. Don't you dare be afraid. Or No guilt. No regrets. Take life by the horn. That's, those are all rules. They're all rules. And we love them. We celebrate them. We get those books. And yet we don't keep them. We, we're afraid. We do have guilt. I remember growing up, I'm a child of the 80s. It's no secret. And I'm not ashamed of it. The 80s are really cool, man. I wish I could just go back, you know. <laughs> but... I remember a commercial and it was a never let them see you sweat. You guys remember that? It was an anti-perspirant uh, underarm deodorant commercial. Never let them see you sweat. And man, the marketing campaign was brilliant because here we are 30 years later. I'm still remembering it. Never let them see you sweat. Isn't that a rule for life? And you know what it means? Don't you dare appear vulnerable. Don't you dare let people see the chink in your armor and your weak spot. That's a rule. A lot of people have that rule for life. And I got news for you. That rule doesn't work. And we don't keep it anyway. Everybody knows where we're soft, right? Whether you reveal it up in front of a crowd like I do or... I mean, your secrets come out, right? We all have chinks in our armor. We're all weak. We're not as strong as we posture ourselves to be. Everybody has rules. Follow your heart. Never look back. Grab life by the horns. And I say that to you because as a preacher, I want to communicate well. I want to be clear. I want to help you Think the right way about the law of God. Because this passage is all about the law. This scribe broke rank. He came to Jesus. I'm sure he had been watching the show in the temple. Jesus cleansed the temple a couple of days ago, aggravated all the religious leaders, and so they came up to him and accosted him and said, hey, who gave you the right to do this? Where would you get this authority to be rearranging the furniture in our temple? And off, off they go to the races. And it's a tussle for authority and for truth, Right? And this scribe has been watching Jesus' answer. And Jesus is like blowing these people away. And then they talk about the resurrection with the Sadducees. And Jesus blows them away. And he's watching and he's listening. And he's like, man, this guy has all the answers. He's never stumped, ever. And he starts to think, I'm a scribe. And we're supposed to have all the answers. And yet my life is so empty. And i got to tell you guys, honestly. I've been a Christian since I was 22. I'm 44 now. So I've had half my life to really look carefully and evaluate. I've been in ministry for a decade and a half. And I meet religious people all the time that grew up in the church. And they feel so empty. So empty. Like they've missed it. What's what's the big thing that that I'm just missing out on? And this scribe, I think he feels that. So he goes up to Jesus and he says, look, basically what's life all about? What's the most important thing to God? I got all these rules. And by the way, did you know in the Old Testament there were 613 laws? Straight up legit, 613 of them. So if you're wanting to obey God, you want to know how to please God? I mean, man, and somebody throws the book at you, and I'm not not talking bad about the Old Testament. That was just, that was just it. They had 613 laws to observe. And so they were always, it was this game that the scribes and Pharisees played back and forth. Which is the most important one? And so this scribe thinks that this guy has all the answers. I want to ask him. And so look at, look at the verse here. In verse uh, 28, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? What's the one on top of all the others? Which one stands out from all the rest? And Jesus answered, The most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, I'm talking about rules and laws, and now we're talking about the law of God and the the top of the law of God. So here's why I started out the way I did. There's, There's a quote by a man named, I think it's David Zoll. He said this. He says, We can better understand our relationship to the law of God by examining our relationships with little l law. Are you with me? Big L, capital L, law of God. And then there's little l, human laws. The ones that I mentioned earlier. Never let them see you sweat. You know, thou shalt be beautiful. Thou shalt be uh, underweight. Thou shalt have uh, clear skin. Thou shalt get picked first for kickball at recess. We're, We're just, our whole lives are dominated by laws. Some of them are unspoken, but they're laws. We all have them. Be beautiful, be perfect, be flawless. Always say the right thing at the right moment. And so David Saul says this, um, We can better understand our relationship to the law of God by examining our relationships with the little L law because the psychological impact of them is often the same. The little L law, thou shalt be beautiful or thou shalt be successful, is often more measurable than the law of God as well as more salient in people's lives. That is, the pressure to be well-liked or valued at work is often stronger than the pressure to be a perfect person. And while holiness is usually invisible, things like salary, number of social media followers, and body weight can be easily measured. So it's easiest to talk about law where most people, regardless of beliefs, actually live to start from the bottom up. And we understand that. We all have laws. Nobody follows them. We start from the bottom up. But Jesus starts from the top down, right? He starts from the top down. He says, the most important thing is this comprehensive, supreme affection for God. Supreme affection. I mean, on the one hand, this is beautiful. His answer is amazing. It's beautiful. And on the other hand, it's absolutely crushing and devastating. And I, I have prayed that everyone in this auditorium this morning feels this. Because I think so often we miss this. If I could just speak very Candidly and be very frank with you. I think Christians miss this. The law of God is absolutely crushing when you see it in all of its truth. It's crushing. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Total and complete and absolute allegiance is what God demands from all of us, from every human being who's ever been born. He demands it. There's no wiggle room there's, there's, there's no time for discussion. That's it. That's the most important thing to God. And when you see that and you understand that, it's absolutely crushing. And, and I think I, I say that because of this. We, we talk about legalism in our churches so often. People that believe that you relate to God by, by how well you keep uh, rules. Like, you know, only watch PG movies and, and don't listen to... Uh, to music with explicit lyrics and th- there's a lot of legalism that takes place and and so often people think the reason that legalism takes takes hold of churches is because people have uh people have so- too high of a view of god's law and that's 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 not right that's not true it's, it's because we don't have i hope i'm saying that right it's because we don't have a, a high enough view of god's law legalists don't have a high enough view of god's law do you know that we don't have a high enough view. And here's what I mean. Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and he's teaching about the law in the Old Testament. And he says, You've heard that it's been said, you shall not commit adultery. And you know all the scribes and Pharisees are elbowing each other, fist bumping, high fiving, because they've not committed adultery, right? And Jesus then says this But I say to you, if you look at a woman and you lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You're guilty. Ooh, crushing. Crushing for every man who's ever been born because they all know we're all guilty, right? Without exception. And then he says, and and it's been said, it's been written, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you have hated your brother in your heart, you've murdered him. So Jesus puts the law of God where it's supposed to be, up here, so it's absolutely crushing if you view it the right way. And I think until you see that, listen to me, because this is... I know this is hard and this is bad news, but, but you have to get the bad news before you get the good news, okay? You have to see the law of God is absolutely crushing so that you'll see Jesus fulfilled it for you because you couldn't fulfill it. You wouldn't fulfill it. You can't fulfill it. You didn't fulfill it. None of us have. None of us have. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And I think that's why Jesus is, is, is telling the scribe the things that he's telling them. This is our everything. So what's Jesus talking about here? And by the way, he didn't make the answer up, did he? He went straight to the Old Testament. He quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and he quoted from Leviticus chapter 19. And I love that because everyone's always trying to pit Jesus against the Old Testament, aren't they? Well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is this and this and this, and then there's Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. He came and rescued us. It's like, wait a minute. No, no, it's not true at all. Jesus... Jesus believed the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus was sent by God. Jesus represented God. He said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I came to reveal him. So Jesus didn't make this up. He goes straight to the Old Testament. And he says, uh, The most important thing is to love God supremely with all your being. To love God supremely and then to love people genuinely. He summarized 613 laws with just two. Isn't that amazing? Like the beauty and the power of simplicity. Jesus reduced this comprehensively. So let me say this. That law is crushing. It is. But that law is also the way that life works best. That's how life works best. If you try and disconnect all the other rules from that rule, they won't work. They won't work. I have a book by Jordan Peterson. If you don't know who that is, that's okay. He's a psychologist, and he's all over social media and YouTube, and he debates, and he's a very intelligent man, and he wrote a book called 12 Rules from Chaos to Order, and that's all it is. It's it's these rules, rules like uh, show up on time, make your bed, (laughs) sit up straight with your shoulders back, um, tell the truth even when you don't feel like it, things like that, but here's the problem with that book. It's a good book. It's got great advice. And especially for young men have been drawn to this guy. Men that maybe didn't have a father figure to tell, him that, tell them these things that are kind of common sense. It's when you disconnect rules from the ruler, life won't make sense ever. Ever. And it's interesting to me. Jesus didn't say love your neighbor as yourself first. He didn't. There's a lot of people they live their whole life trying to do that. And they disconnect it from first love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And guess what? You know what that looks like? You love people. You love people. You serve people. Because you see in those people around you an image of the one who died for you. They, they are bearing the image of the one that you want to love with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that's why, that's why Jesus started with this. What, now, what does that mean? Comprehensive devotion, uh, supreme affection for God. What does that mean? We'll start with your heart. You know, in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, your heart... It's the mission control center for you. It's the mission control center. It's where your desires... You know, the Bible says uh, where your treasure is, there your, your heart is, right? What you desire, that's, you're talking about your heart. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your what? Heart. That's what hearts do. They lean on things. They trust in things. They hope in things. So Jesus is talking about what do you hope in? What do you have affections for? What are you trusting in? What are you looking for, for purpose and for meaning and worth and value? He's saying that has to be God. That has to be God. That's what Jesus is saying here, where your treasure is. Genesis chapter 6 is describing how sinful the human race had become before the flood. And he says, the inclinations of their heart, the imaginations of their heart were only evil continually. The heart, that's where the imaginations fester. That's where everything takes place. Mission Control Center. That's the place where you decide what you are going to face. What your supreme good is. Is your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. So the thing that your heart most cherishes and most adores and most hopes in, that's what Jesus is after here. He says that has to be God. And I've heard, you know, I've been to a lot of weddings in my life and, and sometimes I'll hear uh, if a couple writes their own vows, and you've probably heard it too. I've heard the man say, say to the wife or the wife to the husband, I love you with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. And I'm just being honest. I, I, it scares me when I hear that because I think, you know, I think that's just kind of cliche-ish for them to write that. But if they really mean that, this, this marriage is doomed from the get-go. Because listen, if you put all those things on anybody else other than God, you'll break them. You will break it and it will crush you too. And I'll give you a, a, an example. If, if you make the center of your existence your children, you're going to crush your children. You're going to break them and destroy them because they are not designed and created to bear all the weight of your hope and expectations and meaning and worship. They can't, they can't do that. They can't. God didn't design them to do that. Or if, if your spouse is your soulmate, not good. <laughs> That's not good. Or if your health is, or if your career is. Because Ever, everyone in here, there's an object at the end of that sentence. I love, or maybe the subject. No, the subject would be I. I love blank with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. My question to you would be, what do you fill in that blank? I'm sorry, I'm not a, a, a grammar king here today. What is it though? What is it? I mean, don't say it out loud. And don't say, well, it's God. I mean, we know it's supposed to be. We know it's supposed to be God. And Jesus is putting that back center stage. But whatever it is, other than God, that you're putting all your hope and meaning, you will crush it. It's like loading up an airplane with more weight than it's able to carry, Mark, right? And then, and then after the, the airplane takes off, the landing gear breaks. It's only a matter of time. You know the plane's going down and you know it can't land. That's what putting the weight... An expectation on any being other than God will do, Well, it's absolutely crushing. Jonathan Edwards once wrote about the heart, the mind, the soul, and the strength, and he said this, what the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. So that's point number one. We all have rules. Jesus tells us what the most important rule is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then the second is likened unto it, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then look what this scribe says to him. This is rather gripping. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifice. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to question him anymore with any questions. What in the world is going on here? <laughs> You're not far from the kingdom of God? Come on, teacher, he gave the right answer. He gave the right answer. And that's the problem, right? Knowledge will take you so far, so far. There was a man named, um, this is point two, by the way. I'm, I'm terrible at transitioning. Point two is this. Point one is what? We all have rules. What's point two? Point two we don't follow them. Nobody follows them. We got rules. We don't keep them. Gods or even our own sometimes. There was a man named Jacob Needleman, and uh, he wrote a book. He was a secular philosopher, somewhat of a psychologist. He wrote a book that stunned everybody in his field. Stunned them. They didn't know what to do with this guy. He wrote a book called, Why Can't We Be Good? And the premise of the whole book is, look, we don't, know, we don't need more information. We don't need more laws. We don't need somebody to show up and tell us 10 more things to do because that's not the problem. The problem is after we know the things we're supposed to do, we don't do them. And man, that like the, I've heard the interviews that this guy conducted with people were like brutal. They just did not know what to do with this dude because <laughs> he, he broke rank. He's like, I'm sick of this. I'm just telling the truth. We can't be good. Why can't we? There's a fundamental problem. He got close, didn't he? He got close. That's the problem. There, there was a uh, not far from the kingdom. Going with this idea, Francis Schaeffer was an apologist that lived in the Swiss Alps, and he wrote a couple of books that were just mind blowing for, for defending the Christian faith and contending for the faith. One of them was called "The God Who Is There," um, and the other one was "How How Then Shall We Live." And he said this about Romans 2. Romans chapter 2 talks about there are Gentiles that have never encountered the law of God, never came under Judaistic religious teaching, and yet they, they by nature, show by their conscience that the law of God is written in our hearts, right? So he was, try, he was expounding on that passage one day, and he said, you know, on the last day when all of mankind stands before God, and, and we face judgment, right? He says, just hypothetically, this is kind of dangerous and scary, And don't take this out of context, don't you dare. But he said, what if we just put the Bible aside? And God said, you know what? I'm going to judge everybody on their own morality. I'm not even going to use the Bible. I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to use your own ethical codes and your own morality to see if you live up even to your own uh, morals. And God says, you didn't know this, but your entire life there's been this invisible device clamped around your neck, that activates and records you every time you say ought. <laughs> every time you say the word ought, this recorder kicks in and records you. And, 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 and God says, and I'm just going to play back every time you said that and see how you measure up. In traffic, for example. <laughs> or at the grocery store, when you see somebody else's kid throwing a fit wanting candy. Boy, I wish I had five minutes with him. You know, kids ought to, parents ought to, it's like, oh, should they? they ought to, shouldn't they? Well, after you've had three kids, we'll just play that little recorder back and see how you did, cowboy, right? So he says, look, all joking aside, he said, we'll play that device back and there's not a person on planet Earth that could withstand their own scrutiny, nobody. So not only do we not keep the laws of God, we don't even keep our own laws. It's, it's laughable because we're all in denial, right? We're all in denial, we say things like, well, if I just had more time or if I just had better teaching. My wife loves that show, Hoarders. She loves it. I catch her watching it on her phone sometimes when she's doing dishes. And, and I, one, one day I was walking by and I was just so gripped by it. I'm like, man, let's, let's put this on the TV. I want to see how this, thing, how this thing goes. And it was this guy. And, and it's, it's your typical Hoarders. There's junk everywhere. There's junk and cat urine and like wrappers from Burger King from 10 years ago. It's, it's unbelievable to know that some people live in this, you know, but this guy's been living in it and he's in denial and he's lived in it for decades. And finally there's intervention, his family, his friends, I think his ex-wife, they're like, look, dude, you're going to die. You're like, you're, you're breathing in ammonia from just the cat urine. You got to do something here. And so they get a psychologist, a therapist, they go in there and they're trying to clean out and he's like, whoa, 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 hang on, stop, stop. (laughs) You know, they never if you've seen it, it's a, it's a funny show, but it's a tragic show. They never get past like the first day in some of those cases. And there's this old broken down garden tiller they find in a side room. It's rusted out. It doesn't work. The drawstrings ripped or something. And they're going to throw it away. And they're like, what? You're protesting? He's like, no, no, no. Look, he said, I, I was going to fix that. I was going to fix it. And, and I was going to plant a garden in the backyard, till it up, and plant a garden, and, and the produce and the vegetables I was going to get to my neighbors. And they're like, dude, there's two feet of junk in your backyard. You can't even see the dirt. You can't even see the grass. How in the world are you going to... And he was like, I just... He starts crying. It's really sad. He starts crying. He says, if, if I just had more time, if I just had more time, and that's, that's like a, a statement against humanity, isn't it? If, if I just had time, if things were just different, you know, my, my, I was going to get my yard in order. I was going to clean up the house. Get rid of the cats and their urine and the feces and plant a garden. And and the guy's in denial. He can't see. We can't see, can we? We're all in denial. It's we know what to do. That's not the problem. The problem is the power to do it. That's the problem. And that's why this scribe is just not far from the kingdom. He's not in it. Because you know what? He sees Jesus as a good teacher. Oh, that's that's a good teacher right there now. He answered, well best answer to that question I've ever heard. But at the end of the day, here's the, here's the kickback question. Well, how are you doing with that then? Yeah, that's the, right, that's the right answer. This is the most important thing to God. To love Him supremely and to, the, and to love your neighbor genuinely. How are you measuring up to that? Because you already knew that before you came here, right? We all know that. I face that all the time in counseling. Somebody that comes and they're riddled with anxiety riddled with it just absolutely overwhelmed because they know that the bible says anxiety you're not supposed to be anxious right be anxious for nothing that's a law that's crushing them because they're anxious they worry they're afraid for the future for money for health whatever it is and i can tell you right now 10 years ago you know the first thing i would have told them when they came to me because i'm the biblical you know i'm gonna give them the, the bible answer that's the problem they they don't know what the bible says so they would sit down, and what's the problem? Well, I'm anxious. Just absolutely crippled and riddled with anxiety. I'm like, well, you know what? You came to the right place, because I got the answer for you. Right here in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. <clears throat> now, well, our time is up. I'm so thankful that you came to me so that I could help you. Now, look, I'm not making fun of the Bible. Don't you dare leave and say that I'm, I'm not. That's a powerful verse spoken by an apostle. And that's, a, that's a, a powerful statement. But that's the wrong time to tell somebody that verse. Right? That verse will come later or maybe it, it needed to go before. But they already know that. They already know that that verse says that and that it's wrong and that it's sinful. What they don't have is power. What they need is power. I need strength. I need, they think, willpower, right? That's what this scribe didn't get. That's why he's, he's just so close. He's not far from the kingdom. He's not in it yet. Um, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy. Man, I'm praying that I can praying that I can get through this. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy. And if you don't know the Old Testament that's, that well, that's okay. The scribes would have known it really well. And Jesus is quoting from a book. The entire book of Deuteronomy is a a series of sermons by Moses. Did you know that? All the people of Israel had gone through the wilderness. They're at the very end. They're about to go into the promised land of Canaan. They're on the plains of Moab, right there. Moses sinned against God. He got angry. He struck a rock. And God has told them, you're not going to go into the promised land. Joshua's going to lead my people. So this is the last sermon that Moses is ever going to preach. And he preaches a doozy. (laughs) He's about to to hand over the reins of leadership to to Joshua. And they're just right there. They're right on the brink. They're so close. They're so near. Right? This is almost... It almost seems like Jesus is drawing for that. You're so close to the promised land, you're not in yet. And Moses is preaching this sermon. And Jesus quotes from chapter 6, the very beginning of the sermon. Where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. God is telling his people, you are my people. You are my covenant people. I have rescued you from Egypt, from a, an evil and powerful world empire. And I proved my love and my affection to you. Now, you belong to me. And you're about to enter into the promised land. And you're going to live separately you're supposed to be a, a separated people, marked out, radically different from the pagan religions around you. And so for the rest of Deuteronomy, for the rest of Deuteronomy, Moses is telling his people all the stipulations and conditions for the covenant. If you ever read the book, it's a powerful book, but when you get to chapters 28 through 30, it's called The Blessing and the Curse. Have you guys ever read that? The, that's the very end of Moses' sermon. Moses is saying, well, as we close, let me just remind you, you made a covenant with God. Covenants are very important. You made a covenant. You're entering into a covenant with God. And here are the stipulations for the covenant. This is the way you're supposed to behave. If you behave this way, God's going to bless you. If you keep all these laws, all these 613 laws, right? If you disobey at any point, a curse is going to come down upon you. Have you guys ever read Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30? You need to when you go home. If you have time today, it's a great Lord's Day meditation. Read it. You'll you'll get about ten verses into chapter twenty-eight, and you'll think, you know what? I again, I'm 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 not making fun of the Bible. I'm not. That's that's one of the hardest chapters in the Bible. It's hard. There's fifty verses of curse. If you do this, you're gonna be cursed. If you do this, you'll be cursed. If you do this, you'll be cut off. It's like exact precise uh, obedience to the letter. No wiggle room, no leniency, none of that. You get about 10 verses in and you think, man, I think I get the idea. This is incredible. It's scary. It's frightening. These curses are devastating. But it's interesting if you, if you look at the, very, at the very first part of Deuteronomy chapter 30, this is after the, after the curses have been read. This is what Moses says. Now follow me here. He says, when all these things come upon you, he's talking about the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has given you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children. So there's something really interesting about this. (laughs) Moses has already read the blessing and the curse to them. And the biggest curse is is banishment. You guys know that? The, The most threatening curse in the Old Testament is if you disobey God, he's going to disperse you. And he's going to send you out into all these pagan nations and let them have their way with you. So this is just Moses telling people, chapters 28 through 30, Obey God and he'll bless you. Disobey God, he'll curse you, he'll cut you off, and he'll he'll send you out into the nations. But what's interesting is, Moses is already predicting, When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord our God has driven you. What's he saying? He's saying you can't do it. (laughs) You won't do it. You're not. Moses is saying, I already know you won't keep this covenant. You can't keep it. You won't keep it. Now, man, that's if you're a motivational speaker, you'd be fired for doing that. (laughs) Right? People pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to motivational speakers and buy their books and buy their material not to hear this. Like, hey, by the way, before I leave today, I just want to tell you none of you are going to do this. So you're all going to be susceptible to a curse. But this is what's really interesting to me. Just a few verses later, he says this. Check this out, because this is where we're going. This is the good news you've been waiting on, all right? And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Do you hear an echo here? You hear it? If you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, God's going to bless you. Blessings are going to flow into your life. If you don't, if you fail at any point to cherish and love and obey God, then then this curse is going to come down on you. By the way, you won't do it. You can't. However, however, the Lord your God's going to circumcise you, your heart, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your life, And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all His commandments that I command you today. This is just, for me as a Christian, for years and years and years, I could not understand this. I could not understand this. God demands absolute obedience. And we all know our hearts. We all know how far short we've fallen of that. So how in the world can Christianity be good news then, right? Do you know what circumcision is? That's a dangerous dangerous question to ask, isn't it? (laughs) Um, yeah, you do. You know you know what circumcision is, right? It's bloody, it's gory, it's intimate, it's personal, it's disgusting. It is. Now, I watched my first son get circumcised. There was an Asian doctor that let me do it. And he took great pride in his work. He said he will not cry, he will not bleed, and he didn't. He didn't even know what happened. I don't know how he it gave him baby whiskey, he called it or something. But look, we're talking about the we're talking about way back in the day. Flint, Flintstone rock, or not, not Flintstone. <laughs> yeah, but have a do. We're talking, you know what I'm talking about, right? Talking about uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, culture where they just had a sharp rock to use. You, you did cry and you did bleed, bad, badly. And Jesus uh, uh, Moses is using an analogy. God's gonna circumcise your heart. He's gonna do surgery on you. And it's interesting to me because you find this exact phrase later in the New Testament. It says you're circumcised, Romans chapter 2. Colossians even says, uh, our hearts have been changed because of the circumcision of Christ. Really interesting in Colossians 2. What's that talking about? Do you know what circumcision meant? Let me ask it that way. Remember, it's bloody, it's gory, it's violent, it's disgusting, it's a little bit creepy. Do you know why that was the sign of the covenant back in Deuteronomy? The sign of the covenant that the Israelites made with God was that all the males would undergo this procedure um, and it would show that they belonged to God, right? What was that? Well, that was acting out this, you were acting out the covenant in the Old Testament. You would act it out. They didn't draw up. If you've ever re- refinanced your house or bought a car, you know what you have to do? You sign a contract, like 500 pages. It takes an hour, right? They didn't do that back then. You know what they did? When they would make a covenant with somebody, they would cut animals in half. You would cut animals in half, and you would walk through, and you would shake hands, and you would act out the covenant, and you would say, if I disobey any of the stipulations or any of the conditions of this covenant, may God do this to me. May he come down and curse me, right? And slaughter me. And circumcision was, was this idea of being a bloody, gory, violent, slaughter, cutting off. That's what it meant. And and Moses is promising that God is going to circumcise your hearts. You're not able to keep this law, but don't worry. God's going to circumcise your heart so that you can obey. Now, let me ask you a question. What happened to Jesus on the cross? You know, the Bible says that Jesus became a curse for us, right? You guys following me? I hope I'm not all over the place this morning. The Bible says that cursed is the man that hangs on a tree. Jesus faced the cur- all the curses. You want to know how grateful we ought to be for Jesus? Read Deuteronomy chapter eight when you go home today. Read the whole thing, all however many verses there are. Read it and know that Jesus was cut off for you and for me on the cross. It was bloody. It was gory. It was violent. He was acting out the curse, except it was real for him. It was real. And because of that, God circumcises our hearts. What does it mean to have a circumcised heart? It means what you ought to do and what you want to do are the same. Finally. Have you ever had that tug? I know what I ought to do and I also know what I want to do. And they're not the same thing. And I wish they were. You know what you need? You need to have a changed heart. A changed heart. Only God can make those things come together. where you actually want to love the Lord your God with all your soul and heart and mind and strength. For His commandments are not burdensome to you. The Bible actually says that. His commandments are not burdensome. When you become a Christian, something changes. Something fundamentally changes. The the flesh of your heart is circumcised. It becomes soft and tender and moldable and shapeable. And you want to obey God. You want to pursue holiness. You want to love Him and worship Him. You want to pray, study the Word. You want to serve other people. That can only happen because of what Christ did on the cross. That's what circumcision of the heart really is. There is a, uh, there's a poem that John Newton... And I, I already crossed over into point three. We need a changed heart. That, that's the point of this. There's a poem that John Newton wrote. It's actually a hymn and he says this. He says, Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen His beauty Are joined to part no more. Let me read that again. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. And a little bit later in that hymn he says this To see the law by Christ fulfilled, and hear his pardoning voice, changed a slave into a child, and duty into choice. If you find that you have a hard time obeying God's law, I can almost 100% guarantee you it is because you have not seen the beauty of what God did for you in Jesus Christ. It's not because you need more laws, okay? You already know. You already know that you're not supposed to be anxious. You already know you're not supposed to be fearful. You already know that you're supposed to pray and you're supposed to read your Bible and you're supposed to evangelize. And so if I just stand up here every week and press on your will, poke your will, and tell you again and again and again all the things you're supposed to do, that I never give you a reason for doing them, I'm not preaching the whole counsel of God. I'm not even preaching the best parts. And maybe some of you grew up in a Christian tradition or went to a church where every single week it was more law, law, law. And listen, the law is good. The law is beautiful. The law is holy, holy. and it, and it reflects the perfect moral nature of God, but the law doesn't have any power. It never boasts to have any power. The letter's dead. The Spirit is what brings life. That's why the Bible talks about this new covenant with Christ's blood. Being regenerated, having your heart circumcised. And finally, your duty and your delight are one. You, you went from a slave to a son. And that's when you see what Jesus did for you. You know, we have a counseling ministry here called Beholding and Becoming. And it comes from a verse in 2 Corinthians 3. And it says, you are being changed. That means sanctified, set apart. You're being changed as a believer from one level of glory to the next as you behold Christ. That sounds so crazy that you are changed by looking at something, <laughs> right? It's like, come on, man. I want to get changed by doing something. It doesn't work that way. That's every other religion in the world. You can go follow the, the five pillars and the Eightfold Path of Enlightenment, and you can maybe finally one day reach nirvana or or get your karma balanced out. Not Christianity. Now, in Christianity, Christ has already done all of that for you. He already did all that. He already paid the penalty for the law that you'll break, and he kept the law on your behalf. And when you see him do that, you watch him, This strange, mysterious things happen. You change. You change into his likeness, and suddenly... You want to do the things that he's called you to do so that you can please him. You want to please the one who did that for you. There's a preacher I was listening to the other day, and he was talking about when he was married to his wife. He was in love. They were were just from their honeymoon, and they got back into the regular routine of life, and and she she blindsided him. She said, look, there's there's this thing you do, honey, and it just really leaves me unsettled. It bothers me. I don't like it. It's not good for me. It's not good for our marriage. It's not good for you. And he says, man, I had a flashback because my parents had been telling me that my whole life. And I always told them, it ain't none of your business. You keep your nose out of my life. This is my life. He said, but then all of a sudden my wife is confronting me. And she's telling me, I don't like this thing that you do. It's not good for me, for you. And he said, what did I do? He said, I stopped. I stopped it. And she was right. It's terrible what I was doing. He said, but now, why would I change for my wife when I wouldn't change for my parents? What was the difference? I delighted in my wife. That's the difference. I love the things that she loved. I was enraptured by her. She was beautiful. She was compelling. She didn't have to make this long, drawn-out argument. She said, this thing that you're doing is not good for you, and it doesn't please me, and it's not going to go well for us. And he said, I was in love with her, so I changed. And he said his parents were like, what the heck? <laughs> you know? But isn't that what Christ does, the beauty of Jesus? It, it circumcises your heart, it changes you. Because he, he took the cosmic cutting off for you. Every single person in this room deserves to be cut off from God. That's like the ultimate curse. When you lie, or what, haven't you experienced that in, in a relationship? When you lie, when you cheat, when you steal, when you're unfaithful, and somebody's had it up to here, what do they do? I'm cutting you off, man. When a parent has a child... and and they're manipulating and controlling and being deceitful, maybe getting money for for something they don't need to be doing, and eventually the parent feels like they're enabling, and they say, I'm cutting you off. Cutting you off. You know what that meant? That's so destructive. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do. I'm saying it's a powerful thing that happens. We get it as human beings and relationships. That's painful. Think of Jesus. He took the cosmic the cosmic cutting off for you and I. He was cut off from his father for having done nothing wrong, ever. Never had a sinful word, never a sinful thought. Perfectly obeyed his father. He always did the things that please him, he said. He was the spotless lamb without blemish. And yet he was cut off from the cross. He, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? What was happening there? Jesus was taking what you and I deserve, the cosmic cutting off from God. I've said this before, and I love stories, so I'm going to say it again. I love, I had a, I had a professor at, at my seminary, and he would talk about in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, they got banished, right? They got kicked out of the garden. Uh, um, that's the word I'm looking for. I don't know what it is. Anyway, they got, they got kicked out of the garden, right? And the Bible says that God placed this powerful angel, a cherub, at the gate of the garden with a flaming sword that went every which way in Hebrew. It's a really powerful the grammar there. It's like there's these... I think it says there's one angel but two swords, something to that effect. But it's this powerful... And the Hebrew professor, he, uh, he used to say, You know, wouldn't, wouldn't you want, if you were the offspring of Adam and Eve, and, and they're telling you the story of what really happened... Wouldn't you want to go and get a peek and look in that garden? You'd want to, wouldn't you? You'd want back in. You'd want to see what it was like. All these trees, this, this perfect environment, right, before the fall. Maybe you'd want to even go in there where God is. He said, but you couldn't get past those angels. Why? Because they would hack you to pieces. Spiritually, they'd hack you to pieces. I remember this professor telling us, you know, That's what To get back into God's presence, it's going to take a bloody, it's going to be bloody, it's going to be violent. Nobody can face that and get back into God's presence, but Jesus did. He did it. He went back under the sword, as it were. He went back under the knife. He was cut off cosmically for you and I. And And you say, why are you saying all this stuff? It's not in the passage. Yeah, it is. It is in the passage. Let me show you, and then we're going to close with this. Verse 32. You, the scribe, said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the, what? Burnt offerings and sacrifices. Where's Jesus at when they're talking? You know where he's at? He's in the temple. And it's Passover week and people are bringing all these lambs to the temple to be slaughtered. To cover to atone for them right so that scribe is so close he's like to obey God is better than all of this and Jesus says you're so close you are so close but you're not in yet because I'm just still your teacher I'm not your savior I came to save you from your sins I came to save you from the demands of this law I just want to close with this I want to ask you this morning just to ask yourself this question Is that where you're at in your life right now? Are you just so close? You have all the right answers. You've studied the Bible. You know what the law of God says. Man, you could make mincemeat out of some pagan that has has never read the Bible. But is that all? Is that all it is to you is just rules? Do you know the Savior? Do you know the one that was cosmically cut off for you that underwent the sword? Bloody, gory, intimate, personal. He did that for you so that you could know God So that you could delight in obeying God. So that you could actually see people, image-bearing people, and have a desire to serve them and share the truth of the gospel with them. That's the gospel that Jesus came preaching. Everyone has rules. Nobody keeps the rules. Nobody keeps the greatest rules. We have to have a changed heart. We have to be forgiven for transgressing those rules. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to be cut off for us. He came to take the curse so that you and I could be the blessing. that beautiful i hope that changes your heart let's pray father thank you so much for the truths of this passage i pray that, that they've become clear more clear than when we walked in here lord i know there are people in this building they've struggled even this morning struggled to come here they didn't want to come here they had other things they wanted to do lord places they wanted to be maybe fishing at the beach or maybe just taking a weekend off they didn't want to come and worship you and yet they did you wanted them here to hear this lord this has changed my heart this week, God. Thank you for what you did for me. I didn't deserve it. I'm a sinner, Lord. But yet I'm one of your children. And you have cleansed me and forgiven me and you've made me one of your sons. That's my new identity. I'm a child of God. I'm adopted in your family. I've been cleansed. I've been justified. I've been whole. I didn't do any of that. You did all of that for me. There's nothing I ever did to make you love me. I can't keep your law to make you love me more. Jesus already did that. He's taken care of that, Lord. That's the beauty of Christianity. Thank you for this truth. I pray we would leave with transformed hearts. And i also pray, God, if there's somebody here this morning and they've never really understood this, the demands of God to obey him perfectly, how they've fallen short of that, they've disobeyed. And because of that, Lord, it's, we face a curse. We're going to stand before you one day, either in our own righteousness are in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, clothed and covered with it, Lord, I pray. Nobody in this building would face you um, and have to undergo the curse that we would have the blessing of Jesus. We would say Jesus took our place. Help that message to resonate in our heart today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.